Hi, I'm Pastor Adam, and you're listening to the Orange United Methodist Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, that wants to help you find your place in God's story, and we hope that this sermon will guide you along that journey. Visit orangemethodist.org for more information about location, service times, upcoming events, and ways to give. We hope you enjoy. Our scripture lesson today comes to us from the Gospel of John, chapter 11. We're going to begin with verse 32. Hear now these words. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, And the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench because he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth, And his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God indeed. Let us pray. Almighty God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Good morning once again. We are so grateful that you have been called to this space, to this place to worship in this new way. I'm Pastor Corey, the associate minister here at Orange, and it is a gift to share with you this morning. These have indeed been strange weeks, and weeks that many have joked have not felt like weeks or months or years, but decades This week, I saw a meme that had 1980s, 1990s, 2000s, 2010s, 2020s, March. We can't predict our routine from one day to the next and sometimes from one hour to the next. And at first, my family, my husband, Tiaga, and my two-year-old, Ephraim, and I, we thought we were doing pretty well finding new and creative ways of occupying our newfound togetherness. I successfully used all the baking ingredients in our cabinets and we finally built an art wall to showcase our two-year-old's masterpieces. 
We went on nature walks in our neighborhood and we rode our bikes on the trail, stopping by our friends' homes to wave from the street as they wave from the porch. But then on top of the already implemented limitations, the rain came earlier this week and my two-year-old was ready for life to go back to normal. Let's go see our friends, mom. No, Ephraim, we can't see our friends today. Oh, let's go to the coffee shop, mom. Now, I can't say whether I'm proud, impressed, or embarrassed that that's how he thinks he can get me out of the house, but I said, we can go to the coffee shop, but we can't go into the coffee shop. Oh, and he stated in questions, we can't go into the coffee shop? Not today. Why, mom? And so I thought, I'm just going to try this. I'm just going to lay it out for him from the top to the bottom. And I explained it. I told him how germs work and how we're trying to keep folks safe from getting sick. I was a straight shooter. And at the end, I looked at him and said, Ephraim, do you understand me? And he looked confused. And then he smiled and said, nope. <laughs> and I thought, absolutely. I mean, objectively, I get it, but when I feel myself digesting all of this information and thinking, do I stay, understand all of this? Nope. All of this feels strange and confusing and overwhelming and uncomfortable and so disappointing. And that disappointment, that lack of understanding and certainty, church, that's grief. It's pain and it's sadness. We are grieving so many things right now. And some we don't even know that we're grieving. The pain of many being sick on a global and local scale. People are dying. People are losing their jobs. It's heartbreaking. And at the very same time, we are grieving the real loss of things anticipated that will never happen. Proms that won't be attended, graduates who will never walk across the stage to receive their diplomas, championships that will never be played out. We grieve delayed celebrations, canceled baby showers, birthday parties, and so disappointing. I was supposed to officiate three weddings in the last three weeks, all postponed. So hard, it's so painful, and I am so, so sorry. All of it feels like the death of dreams, of imagined smiles and happy moments that were supposed to be shared with the people we love. Oh, church, we grieve one another's presence. We grieve the loss of gathered community for now, the handshake that assures us we're not in this alone. The hug that doesn't need words that says, I've got you and I'm praying for you. We, the staff, grieve you not being here, preschool and youth group, not being able to be by your hospital beds or sharing in the blood and body of Christ. We miss the beauty of baptisms and of welcoming new guests and new members in person. Whatever you are grieving today, Whatever death or darkness has knocked or is knocking on your door this morning, pull up a chair. 
And let's be present together because you are welcome in this place. And Jesus has something to say to you this morning. We find ourselves in, God, in John's gospel, continuing to explore some of the questions that Jesus asked of his followers. And we settle here in chapter 11 with the story of Lazarus. And we start at the beginning of the chapter, even though Pastor Adam read beginning in verse 32, we're gonna start in verse one, because we need the whole story today. Lazarus is the brother of Martha and Mary that we know from Luke's gospel. And this family, they're not unknown to Jesus. He loves them. The scriptures repeat it several times. They're not strangers. So when Lazarus, their brother, becomes ill, they send an intimate message as you would to a family member or a close friend that says, Jesus, master, the one whom you love so very much is sick. They call for Jesus to come, to be with them, to do something, to act. He's their master, their friend, their teacher, and they don't want to endure this tragedy without him. And Jesus does receive their message, and yet he stays where he is for two more days. It's hard for us to maybe understand why Jesus stays where he is instead of returning immediately. But if the disciples had it their way, Jesus would have never gone back. When he finally does announce that he is indeed returning to them, the disciples argue with him because they know they've just left from a place where Jesus' life was being threatened. So from the disciples' perspective, why would Jesus risk going back to Mary, Martha, and Lazarus if it meant putting his own life in danger? Jesus tries to reason with him. He tells the disciples that Lazarus is sleeping and he needs to wake him up, but they're unconvinced. And instead they say, well, if he's sleeping, then he'll wake up well-rested. They always believe they know better than Jesus. So Jesus has to have a come to Jesus moment with his disciples. He says, you aren't quite understanding what I'm saying. Lazarus isn't just sleeping. He's dead. And I have to go to him. So finally, they realize they're not going to win this argument. So they comply, but they're not happy about it. Thomas says with confident despair, let us go also so that we might die with him. And that verse is so tragically faithful in my opinion. Thomas loves Jesus so much that he's willing to go and die with him. But his trust in what Jesus has said, that he's going to wake Lazarus up. Thomas and the other disciples can't quite grasp it. One of the scholars I read said that everybody in this story is obsessed with avoiding death their own or Jesus's, except for Jesus. Jesus is focused on facing it and overcoming it, not only for Lazarus, but eventually for himself. So we journey back to Bethany, back toward Jerusalem, where we know danger looms for Jesus, but Jesus goes anyway into the danger, into the darkness for his friends. And he's met by Martha before he can arrive at their home. And she's devastated. She says, if only you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, he will give you. 
So we wonder, what is Martha asking for? Because Jesus promises her right there, your brother will rise again. And she says all the right things. She says, I I know Jesus, I know that he will again rise in the last day of the resurrection. And we know that first century Jews believed in a future resurrection beyond our earthly lives. So Martha is saying, I know Jesus, my hope is in the future. But Jesus replies to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Jesus is telling Martha something she can't quite grasp. It's hard for our minds to comprehend something we've never known before. Jesus isn't talking about some distant resurrection that's only available to us beyond our earthly lives, but Jesus is speaking about an embodied reality, a present hope and promise. Jesus is resurrection. Jesus is life. The promise of eternal life is there. Thanks be to God. But that's not the only thing that Jesus has to offer to us. No, there's a hope, a quality of life here and now that we are being invited to participate in when we encounter Jesus. When we choose to hear the words that he is speaking into our lives. Martha does confess that she believes Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed one, but her belief doesn't translate into understanding what Jesus means when he says, I am the resurrection. I am life. She goes back to tell her sister Mary that Jesus is here and he's calling her. And because we know from the previous chapter in John 10 that the sheep know the shepherd's voice, Mary immediately comes rushing out to see him, exclaiming that same frustration. If you had only been here, Jesus, my brother would not have died. And her weeping stirs Jesus. It moves him. He's disturbed. And the Greek Greek even suggests that he's maybe angry or frustrated. He asks, where have you laid him? And those gathered say, Lord, come and see. This is where Jesus begins to weep. But why now? Why does Jesus begin to weep now? I, I preached a sermon at the beginning of Lent about Jesus's invitation and promise in John to the disciples and to us to come and see, to follow and bear witness to who Jesus is, our teacher, our Messiah, the one who's come to save us and to bring us peace. And here we find these words spoken not by Jesus, but by the Jews whose invitation is a promise to come and see that Lazarus is dead. The hopelessness in these words when said to Jesus and not by Jesus. The hopelessness. Imagine it, it crushes Jesus. Everyone has given up on Lazarus, everyone. Miracle here that we witness in Jesus' weeping and Jesus' crying is that Jesus actually knows the ending of Lazarus' story. Jesus knows that death is not the end for Lazarus. He has hope. He is the hope, and yet he still weeps. Even though Jesus knows that his love will conquer death, not only now, but for eternity, in just a few chapters, 
Jesus doesn't avoid all the pain and grief. And because of this, Jesus models for us that when we experience death in all of its forms, we don't have to muscle through even if we know the hope of Jesus Christ. We can and we do know the end of the story and we can and we still do weep because life is really hard sometimes. Life is really hard right now. So we weep with and because Jesus does. But by some miracle, Jesus gets up and still goes to that tomb. And those around him, they get up and they follow him to the tomb. We get up and we follow him to the tomb where we discover that death has not won. Even when Martha insists, Jesus, he's been dead for four days. That's one too many. Jews believe the soul left the body after three days. So Lazarus is beyond death, beyond any hope that any of those gathered could possibly muster. But even as they are gripped by hopelessness and what seems like certain despair, they still go with Jesus. And we with them bear witness to the words that Jesus speaks to Martha. Did I not tell you? If you believed, you would see the glory of God. They take away the stone and Jesus prays and then he cries with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Jesus beckons him as the shepherd calling his sheep, calling him to come out of the grave, to come out of the tomb, the clutches of death. Jesus doesn't do all the work of going into the tomb and dragging him out. No, Lazarus has a role to play. He must listen. We must listen and he must respond. We must respond. And when Lazarus does and he comes out of the tomb, it isn't Jesus who removes the bands of cloth that cover him. No, Jesus tells us, the community that witnesses a brother or sister come out of the clutches of death, we're called to help remove whatever continues to bind them. It is we as the body of Christ who witness the glory of God. The glory of God is freedom. It is the liberation of those who have seen death and have chosen to hear the voice of life speaking into their suffering, speaking into their darkness and beckoning them into the light once again. It is we who experience the glory of God when we experience death and grief in our lives and we choose to hear the voice of life speaking still, calling us. Even if that voice is delayed, even if that voice takes four days to rescue us, even if and even because the voice sits down to weep in solidarity with the grief we experience. Lazarus knew Jesus and Jesus loved Lazarus, yet it did not spare him from death and it will not spare him from his earthly death. What that love offered him was the possibility of a new life here, now, in this moment. The promise of eternal life, always. But the hope of new life here, 
Now, despite suffering, brokenness, even the stench of death, Jesus overcomes it for us, for all of us. Jesus knows that coming back to see and save Lazarus will set into motion in John's gospel, his own death. Yet he gladly trades it. He refuses to be persuaded otherwise. He comes back to Lazarus, to Martha, to Mary, to give them life and hope in the midst of their darkness. He models in this story what he will fulfill in the next several chapters and in these last weeks of Lent as we journey not only to the cross, but to the empty tomb where Jesus reveals that nothing, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Even as we experience the current storms that engulf us, even as we mourn what we have lost and missed, even as we sit down to weep, may we follow Jesus to the tomb and hear our names being called out, being called into a new life, being given a hope that cannot be taken away from us in this life or the next. Let us pray. Holy and merciful God, you are the God who took on flesh, who took on every human experience so that we would never have to experience anything apart from your presence. God, we know and we are so grateful that you are not a God who avoids the despair or darkness or even death. Rather, you are a God who witnesses and mourns with us. And then because of your love, you overcome despair with hope darkness with light and death with resurrection. Resurrect us today. Allow us to hear your voice louder than any of the noise of this world. Empower us to unbind one another, to support one another and to faithfully grieve as we suffer and to faithfully celebrate as we find our strength in you. We pray these things today in the name of Jesus Christ and in the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Please join us again next week. In the meantime, you can find us online once again at orangemethodist.org. Thank you.